we can get started. Uh, hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speak Webinar Series and Podcast. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Irena Zuckerman, a New York-based lawyer and analyst focusing on information warfare in the Middle East and Russia, join us to discuss the evolving Tehran-Moscow axis. Ms. Zuckerman will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Ms. Irina Zuckerman. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for hosting me here. Uh, the issue of evolving relations between Iran and Russia have received a great deal more attention in recent weeks after the announcement of a sale of drones by Iran to Russia. Nevertheless, it's important to understand and remember the context of this development. Iran and Russia have historically uh, enjoyed a very complicated uh, relationship. At one point, uh, Russia had territorial ambitions for northern Iran that uh, ultimately led to a scramble uh, for power between Britain, Russia, and the annexation of an oil and gas-rich area called Ahwaz, uh, which, uh, which is populated mostly by um, Arab and Arabic-speaking population. Um, Russia at, this, at, at the time sought um, an entry into the Gulf and thought that the territorial acquisition and annexation would be the best way to move forward. Um, Iran and Russia have at that point extremely strained rela uh, relations. They've, they had a historical issue of competition, of geopolitical tensions and misunderstandings. But with the accession of the Islamic Republic in 1979, the situation changed somewhat uh, because the Soviet Union, despite Khomeini's um, historic statements about Iran looking neither to the West nor to East, in fact, laid the foundation of many of much of the Iran's methodology, terrorism, intelligence gathering capabilities, and even methods of interrogation that we uh, know about today, Soviet, the Soviet Union and the Islamic Republic and its, in, in its early day, uh, days enjoyed that sort of cooperation. And there are rumors that some of the top of echelons from Iran at the time, the Islamic Republic officials, some of them were assets of the Soviet intelligence. And therefore, much of what we are seeing uh, in the Islamic Republic today reflects Russia's structure. Still, after the fall of the Soviet Union, Russia and Iran went their separate ways. There continued to be geopolitical tensions. Uh, the most concrete example of that uh, was, was the scramble for the Caspian Sea, uh, which is not actually a sea, it is a major uh, body of water, a lake, but it is um, vital in the region uh, for Central Asian countries, for Iran and for Russia. And ultimately, Iran um, uh, was forced to give away through a contractual agreement much of its own uh, control over that uh, important uh, strategic asset to Russia. Russia came out on top. Now, however, with uh, the invasion of Ukraine, we are seeing a shift in the power dynamics between the two countries again. 
Iran and Russia have never been shy of cooperating. We have seen examples of that in particular in Syria, where both countries supported uh, Assad, the Assad regime and uh, worked together to try to oust the US positions from the region and from Syria, both uh, had a particular concern with acquiring naval capabilities in the area and building uh, military, uh, particularly uh, naval bases in their area as much as possible, but there were also uh, tactical tensions over specific territorial control and power. And there was this idea also that Russia had some power over uh, Iran in Syria, uh, that Russia was preventing Iran from moving forward. Uh, Israel at one point claimed that Russia stood between, uh, stood in the way of Iran's uh, more aggressive actions uh, against Israel and had allowed Israel to conduct operations uh, in that area that, uh, uh, that uh, targeted Iranian infrastructure and allowed Israel to defend itself uh, from uh, growing Iranian aggression of its military and proxy presence in Syria. The reality is more complicated than that. Iranian uh, cooperation with the Russian forces uh, is much closer on some levels than many may think. At the same time, uh, the Ukrainian war has weakened Russian presence uh, in Syria significantly. Uh, Russia never really had the power to fully stop Iran. And if you look at the operations uh, that were performed uh, by Israel and its allies in uh, attacking Iranian infrastructure in Syria, you will see that Russia and Iran had carefully coordinated um, their security uh, presence in a way that actually minimized damage for the Iranian forces. Uh, yes, a lot of infrastructure was destroyed, but a lot of it was empty. And one wonders whether uh, the whole thing was not, in fact, a sham uh, to create a security theater visibility that worked for all involved, but quietly advanced uh, the joint goals of both countries to embed their presence in a strategically important area. It's also important to note that Iranian cooperation on defense with Iran did not begin with the, uh, with the Ukraine war. It preceded that by years. And uh, we will see, uh, looking back, that the reports of, Iranian, of uh, Russians recruiting and working with Iranian uh, proxies in the Middle East on uh, various issues. It's also important to note that Russia had eventually shifted from being a fairly neutral and self-serving power broker or attempting to be such in the Middle East to becoming increasingly close politically with Iran on uh, various votes uh, in the United, the United Nations as well as on other issues. For instance, Russia's open support for the Iran-backed Houthi uh, militias in Yemen has grown over time. Eventually, Russia backed away from open political support temporarily, but one of the issues Iran is looking to gain from increased uh, support for Russian military uh, ambitions is uh, stronger political recognition, legitimacy by Russia and support uh, for its uh, assorted projects at the UN. 
so at one point, uh, Russia claimed to be neutral and working with all sides in Yemen. Eventually, it be became more vocal in support uh, for the Houthis, and there are evidence of um, uh, coordination on various projects. At one point, Iran and Russia also both supported the Taliban in Afghanistan for anti-Western reasons. Uh, they've had their uh, share of tensions about how to best to coordinate that project, but this sort of military um, support and coordination of proxies is nothing new to them. Uh, it's also worth noting that Iran and Russia have been growing closer economically as well. Not only has the volume of trade increased significantly as both countries eventually became more into, even more anti-Western and more uh, politically isolated and extreme over time, uh, but Russia and China had formed uh, an organization to rival uh, the Western economic blocs called the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, and Iran eventually uh, joined that group of countries um, fairly recently, actually, which is an important strategic development that should be uh, closely watched. At the time, Iran uh, started joining these meetings. Uh, it was briefly described in the Western press, uh, but it did not Arouse much attention, but for those watching, they would have understood that the, the, the dynamics between Iran and Russia were going in a very closely cooperative um, direction for some time. Um, also worth noting a joint military exercises that Russia, Iran, and China have enjoyed both as a group of uh, three and axis and also uh, bilaterally uh, in recent years. So those were also all sides of growing preparation for possibly bigger defensive operations uh, in terms of maritime uh, maritime security cooperation, as well as general anti-Western proximity. And of course, cybersecurity is an area always worth noting because um, Russian and Iranian hackers uh, all allegedly formally unaffiliated with the state, but somehow always in addition to regular crimes performing pro-state operations beneficial to the foreign policies of their respective regimes, have cooperated on a number of cybersecurity uh, activities on anti-Western hacking operations, on espionage of various sorts, and on assisting uh, other countries in that alliance, such as China and Qatar, in uh, various on various propaganda campaigns and schemes, and while Iranians Iranian hackers are still far behind uh, the the Russian counterparts in terms of uh, acumen and skill, they are clearly being trained and learning from um, their Russian brethren. Now, uh, getting to the most current. Um, the most current uh, level of cooperation, it continues to grow in several areas. Drones and military equipment is but one of them, but uh, it is uh, a very interesting issue because Iran has actually tried to mislead Western countries about that level of cooperation. Uh, for instance, during the Tehran meeting that brought together Putin, Ayatollah Khamenei, and uh, Turkey's President Erdogan, um, Iran at that time claimed that uh, the rumors of its sale of drones to, the, to Russia 
were false, and it openly lied to the Ukrainian government with, with which it has had tensions since the infamous um, uh, downing of a Ukrainian uh, civilian uh, plane a couple of years ago. It, it lied and, and misled misled uh, many of the activists uh, to believe that the drone sale was not going to happen. In reality, not only did it happen, albeit um, admittedly not all of those drones are fully functional, as several US officials and others have uh, confirmed, uh, but, uh, but there appears to be a growing interest in sale of additional weapons, such as uh, missiles uh, which Iran produces, and Iran may also be delivering Chinese-made uh, drones to Russia as well. Uh, another area of cooperation, and actually the most uh, uh, the most clear sign that this cooperation is ongoing, is the statement by uh, um, by uh, the new commander of the RGC Salami, who has stated that Iran is selling. Uh, those drones to various countries that he that Iran is training uh, the militaries in the use of those drones and that they're being used in the field. And we have heard reports from, from the U.S. intelligence as well that Iran that Russia is using the, already those Iranian drones, at least the ones that are functional in Ukraine. Other areas of cooperation include the issue of grain food security. Um, that became a major crisis for not just for Russia and Ukraine as a result of the agricultural uh, shift uh, during the war effort, but to many developing countries around the world. Iran, of course, is one of them. Even though there are humanitarian exceptions to food delivery as a matter of economic priorities, uh, supporting its population hasn't been one of them. Now Iran is looking to Russia to assist in providing the grains, some of which are, have been smuggled out of uh, Ukraine and uh, shamelessly stolen uh, from the ships that uh, in the Black Sea that um, Russia has attacked, and some of them are being delivered as per a brokered agreement uh, with, the, with the assistance of Turkey. That was one of the issues that was being uh, discussed um, during the Tehran summit. We will see that uh, this relationship will continue to grow. Uh, we are seeing great increased number of high-level contacts, increased number of military uh, discussions, cooperation on uh, upcoming uh, ex military exercises. Now Russia is hosting uh, major exercises that also include uh, China and India, among others. And we are seeing a push for an increased and stronger bloc of which Iran is likely to become a very prominent member. So rumors that Russia and Iran could be easily split uh, due to the long-term geopolitical differences have been greatly exaggerated. If anything, the two countries are only going to become closer together. And with that, I will turn over the floor to any questions that you may have. All right, thank you so much. And as a reminder to our viewers, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. Uh, the first question is, um, what does Iran get by downplaying its ties to Russia? You just mentioned that in regards to the drones, uh, especially when they were looking uh, to get the, the political nod. I don't know. Uh, we, we should keep the context in mind. The context, of course, is the Iranian ongoing uh, negotiations with the, with the UN, the United States, over the nuclear deal. Now, Russia has actually been the greatest beneficiary of, those, uh, of that 
year they've made the demands for uh, lifting of the sanctions um, in exchange for the brokering of these agreements on behalf of the United States. Uh, but in reality, Iran is also well aware of the sanctions on Russia that are coming as a result of its war in Ukraine and does not wish to exacerbate uh, the situation during the talks or otherwise and to avoid scrutiny and bad press as much as possible. Uh, it also wants to enjoy some level of continuous cooperation with Ukraine, despite uh, bad air between the two countries, um, and deceiving them as much as possible about the use of its own weapons is also a good way to make to make sure that those weapons are being successfully used as opposed to being intercepted en route or identified and linked to Iran's criminal actions. Absolutely, thank you. And would you say that this is a mutually beneficial relationship, cooperation, or is one side more dominant in, in the power? Um, I would say that initially Russia uh, tended to be the more dominant side, ironically. Uh, its intelligence methods are somewhat more sophisticated, even though Iran's intelligence, uh, particularly RGC, has always been um, has always been pretty good. It has been trained extensively by Russia, but Russia has always been significantly uh, the more sophisticated actor, especially on cybersecurity operations. But we're seeing that shift as a result of Russia's economic and political, not to mention military losses in Ukraine. It has had to remove S-300 from Syria. It lost a lot of its uh, best top-notch fighting force. Iran has not. It has suffered uh, some losses in Syria, but overall, IRGC has been fairly intact, and it has also recruited much more successful than Russia foreign mercenaries and trainees that it has uh, brought into uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and so forth into various regiments. Uh, Russia's attempt to recruit Iranian forces uh, to Ukraine and elsewhere have so far not been particularly successful. So Iran is actually getting, it, it may become a more dominant partner in this relationship in the coming years as a result of the Ukraine conflict. Thank you. And you did mention that uh, Russia sort of wanted Iran to pull back a bit in, in regards to Israel. If Iran were to get the, the nuclear capabilities and, and Israel went to war with them, what do you think would happen in regards to Russia and Iran? Well, let's just be clear that Russia's coordination with Iran on that issue was entirely self-serving. It benefited Russia to maintain good relations with Israel because it viewed Israel as an important potential proxy in the region. Uh, due to a high level of Russian-speaking population, due to oligarchs doing business, uh, they didn't want Russia, Iran, uh, Israel to become completely anti-Russian, and they were correct in their calculation because Israel could have been a much more aggressive uh, counter to Russia over the Ukraine issue. It wasn't precisely because, uh, first of all, because of the financial issue and the optics of Syria that many have come to believe uh, was much more crucial than it really was. Now, with respect to the nuclear issue, we have seen what happened with Russia and nuclear weapons. Uh, they became an argument for NATO not to directly intervene in Ukraine, despite potentially that could have possibly stopped Russia much more early and minimized many of the uh, humanitarian losses, civilian casualties and uh, damage that we have seen 
precisely due to the somewhat uh, hyped up fear of the use of tactical nuclear weapons. With Iran doing the same, we can expect much of the same. Iran has already been actually much more involved and aggressive than Russia um, around the region in particular. Uh, Russia has meddled with separatist groups and occupied portions of several states, but but Iran has largely co-opted completely uh, several states in the Middle East. We can only expect much more of that, and we can expect much more aggressive behavior in general if there's concern about the use of nuclear weapons. Thank you so much for that. Murray Feldman asks, how soon do you think Iran will play China against Russia? I don't think it will. I think all three countries are at advantage. And China, actually, out of the three, now that we're talking about the trilateral relationship, China is the most senior member in those relationships. It has the biggest economy, the greatest reach. Uh, the, Iran needs it as an economic partner to, to sell off its oil, at least until the West decides what it wants to do in terms of those oil sales. China is, uh, number, you know, Iran's top top oil trading partner and it provides it rents some of the oil uh, properties in Ahuas that Iran again are central to Iran's economic needs and it also provides Iran with surveillance technology that it needs for both internal and external needs in the region. China is indispensable to Iran. Um, Russia is annoying, but with Iran being in a more dominant position, it doesn't need to play Russia off against China. It can benefit from Russia directly because now Russia is forced to rely on Iran uh, more in terms of weapon sales and support and uh, sanctions circumvention. One of the issues is energy. Russia is uh, is looking uh, to Iran pipelines for uh, circumventing oil sanctions, and it has a formalist and Gazprom has formalized an agreement with Iran to proceed with gas projects, which are much more critical to the uh, energy crisis in Europe than oil. Um, gas is what is badly needed, and uh, the delivery of timely delivery of gas has been a problem due to infrastructural uh, concerns and. Uh, shortcomings and uh, Russia is planning a Persian pipeline with Iran, which could be, from their perspective, a game changer economically. So, so, so Iran is not looking to play anybody off. Iran is looking to benefit from both as much as possible, for the time being, at least. Absolutely, that makes sense. And uh, will any of these the different backgrounds and political agendas will that get in the way? in the way at all? Or do you think that the economic incentives are, are too strong? China and Iran do have issues on the tax of cooperating on a tactical level, because for China, Iran is a very difficult territory with a completely different mentality. China is focused on uh, stability, doesn't like terrorism and those methods. It prefers, uh, you know, buying up power using very traditional economic and political pressure methods as opposed to uh, terrorist attacks. Uh, so from what I understand, completion of projects on the ground with Iran have been, has been difficult. In addition, Iran is looking for employment. For the, it has a very high youth unemployment rate, but China does not tend to hire external people when it brings in its infrastructure or oil projects anywhere. It brings its own population, there are language, cultural barriers, mentality barriers, 
also uh, simply a matter of corruption in Iran. It is so hard that just proceeding with any kind of work for anyone is difficult. Russia is less concerned with those issues. It, it's That's less likely to become a problem, but again, culturally, those are very, very different countries on many levels that don't necessarily particularly like each other. This is all out of coming together out of necessity. There's certainly uh, geopolitical differences and there's certainly tensions over ultimate dominance in the region. China is taking advantage of US absence, um, but it, with a greater economy, it has uh, much greater potential as well. And already has good relations with all involved. It's very adapted to exploiting the Gulf states. Iran and Gulf states you know, may get along on some level on trade level, but politically they don't get along at all. And that's not likely to change in particular with Saudi Arabia. So um, in the long term, China is likely to be the ultimate winner uh, in the region out of all the, out of the three countries. Thank you. And Robert Larrick asks, does Russia see traditional Iranian and radical theology as a growing threat? Russia is very adept at using extremism to its own ends. It has employed Chechen Islamists uh, to further its ends in Ukraine, despite the fact that Muslim Brotherhood is officially banned in Russia. It's one of the very few non-Middle Eastern countries who have banned the the, this movement completely. Uh, Iranian extremism is not something that Russia is looking to import internally, but I believe there is a sort of agreement for the time being and an understanding between Russia and Iran where to draw the lines in the exploitation of each other's uh, state ideologies and dogmas and where to cooperate in terms of using them to, to against the West. And Russia is very clear that it does not wish to interfere in Iranians' own projects that, doesn't that don't concern its own ambitions. Unlike China, Russia doesn't need to pretend to be the great stabilizer in the Middle East. It just wants what it wants and where it wants it. And it doesn't care that Iran is exporting extremism abroad. In fact, from the point of weakening the West, where Iran is uh, importing its propaganda and ideology to Western countries, it suits Russia's uh, needs perfectly fine and probably supports all these active measures and operations, uh, both tactically and morally. Absolutely. And pretty much what, what can these Western, what does this cooperation mean for these Western countries and, and how can it be countered? I think the West has made a major strategic mistake on uh, trying to deal with those, all those countries separately and independently, uh, whereas they're part of a block. The U.S. intelligence services have this entire focus on China, but it should not be viewed as China alone, even though China separately certainly deserves level of scrutiny, understanding that we do not currently possess the we should. But we should also understand that China is cooperating with friendly services, friendly um, with its allies, and there is a degree of energy exchanges, intelligence sharing, cybersecurity cooperation that needs to be seen as part of a evolving, shifting dynamic, and essentially. The West needs to become much more fluid and and much more able to keep up with the evolving nature of these alliances. The fact that today 
uh, China is going to be the one calling shots tomorrow, Iran and Russia may kind of start being more aggressive and out there depending on the individual interests or circumstances. Uh, the West is not able to shift um, well in response to these dynamics. They're still very much mired in Cold War mentality of seeing each state as, a, as an independent actor that's only responsive to Western agendas rather than its own also internal needs and and uh, and uh, interactions. That is a fascinating point, the, the separate countries um, versus the bloc. But like, what exactly could we do to to address this this alliance, this bloc that you're speaking of? Is there any sanctions against multiple countries we could? Our sanctions are. A foreign policy tool, they're not a punishment, and they're certainly not a panacea from, from all ills. Uh, the response needs needs to be holistic, multilateral. Uh, we first need to patch out to address above all our own vulnerabilities that are making us vulnerable to intelligence operations, uh, to active measures, to aggression and political manipulation. That is actually a far greater threat than any military activity. Uh, by any of those countries, which, as we have seen from Russia, are ultimately weak. And as non-democracies, they're poorly responsive to, to major shifts. Uh, the West has been able to come together successfully when needed, when they want to. It's only internal corruption and internal political issues that become an obstacle for successful Western cooperation, as we have seen with the Germany and some of the other countries, vis-a-vis -vis 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 either Russia or Iran, or for that matter, China. Um, so authoritarian regimes are, are highly bureaucratic. They're not responsive. They're dependent on West to steal their ideas and technology. They're not particularly good at developing their own innovative approaches. Uh, they have less scrutiny. That's where their strength lies. But this is not anything that US, US or any of the other countries with their own intelligence um, apparatus cannot developed we've been there before um but sanctions are certainly not only matter you need covert action you need covert measures you need uh ideological warfare you need uh the ability to to win hearts and minds of local populations to recruit uh to play faction internal factions against one another internal without being impacted and falling for your own kool-aid such as uh, the belief in the mythical reformers in Iran, that's not, that's not real. The differences inside the apparatus are real and should be understood and exploited, but how that benefits the West, that, that's, that's magical thinking right there. So, so the West needs to be much more responsive to the mentality of its adversaries and not judge everyone by its own uh, cultural and uh, historical and political standards. Uh, in that the approach has to be all-encompassing, it has to be strategic, it has to be evolving, and the West needs to understand the objectives. Is the regime change in any of those countries a realistic option for the time being? Probably not. In 30 years, maybe, but then you need to have a 30-year strategy of how you're going to destabilize those regimes, how you're going to prepare political ground for change, how you're going to unite whoever needs to be united and deal with the rest of people who don't want to go along with that plan and who want independence or whatever else all the you know russia china and iran all have problems with very diverse populations that have been historically 
and culturally oppressed with distinct identities that that wish to have some sort of autonomy all of these issues an issue of psychological warfare but also an issue of political strategy that has to be taken into account you can't just keep going and going and think that uh, that uh, the result will be the same. So there has to be clear understanding of the objective regime change versus um, ba basic indefinite maintenance, but indefinite maintenance runs the risk of some other actor coming in and interfering without you uh, in the process without your control. So you need to, if you want to exercise greater control, then you have to be in charge of the more in charge of the process and figure out what you want out of it. Containment did not work particularly well with the Soviet Union. It's not going to control uh, to work well with Russia, China, and Iran. It's not working now. So we have to see how much disruption we can abort with, uh, afford with all of those three states without going all the way to the regime change and without developing a, a, a strategy that would make regime change possible. And uh, we also have to understand that all three countries will need to be de-radicalized or de-ideologically de reformed if we are ever going to, to see them as partners and uh, rather than adversaries because the level of indoctrination in all three has been extreme. All right. Well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again, Ms. Zuckerman, for joining us today. Thank you so much for the invitation. It was a great opportunity. Appreciate it. Wonderful. Thank you. And for our viewers, please be on the lookout for our weekly webinar offerings email coming out over the weekend. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much.